50% of what you learn within a couple of years will be wrong or outdated. They see all these fitness influencers and they see all these amazing physiques and they think everyone's natural. And he literally said he felt like he was 18 again. And he has so much more energy and strength and vitality. That's what medicine's all about to me. And that's why I'm excited about this whole field. If you see someone who's bigger than that, they're probably enhanced. Do you think I'm natural? Welcome back to First Things First. Very happy to introduce today's guest, Dr. Adil Khan. Thank you very much for coming down. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited for this podcast because it's the first time I've had a legit doctor on. I wouldn't say I'm a legit doctor, but (laughs) (laughs) for sure, yeah. Before we get started, what is your sort of credentials and how long you've been doing this for? Yeah, so I'm a Canadian board-certified physician. So to become a medical doctor, you have to go to medical school, then you have to do residency training, then you have to do specialty training. And then I kind of did additional specialty training in interventional pain after sports medicine. And then I subspecialized in regenerative medicine. So there's a lot of schooling I had to go to. How many years was that? Yeah, it's (laughs) uh, after high school, it's like... 12 years, 13 wow. years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. Uh, it's a lot, but it, it worked out because obviously I found something I'm really passionate about. And, but, the, but really the, the, the biggest thing is, you know, in Canada, it's very conventional. And obviously we're going to talk about why sometimes you have to think outside the box when it comes to medicine. Mm-hmm. So you, right now you're specializing in regenerative health? Exactly. So I've kind of sub-specialized into regenerative medicine Mm -hmm. and what that really is, because regenerative medicine is kind of like a buzzword because now you hear it all over the place because it's becoming like a hot topic. So every Mm -hmm. doctor is trying to catch on because it's almost like a cash grab. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's it's really problematic, especially in the US, because you can Google like stem cell regenerative medicine and you can find like a hundred different doctors offering it. And so there's an issue with quality control. And mm-hmm. for me, it wasn't because it, it was always because in sports medicine, where I started, we like, like, let's say you have a shoulder injury or something, right? And you do physiotherapy, doesn't work. Then they'll usually send you to like a doctor to do like cortisone. If that doesn't work, then they'll send you to surgery. And cortisone for people who don't know is basically just an anti-inflammatory drug. And what it does, it it helps with inflammation, but it can actually make cartilage weaker mm-hmm. and it can make tendons weaker. So it's not Regenerative is actually destructive. Uh, and then, so for me, when I was in that field, I was kind of like, there has to be something else. And so that's how I got exposed to regenerative medicine because I, my, my mentor in that, Dr. Anthony Gallia, he was kind of the pioneer of something called platelet-rich plasma, which is where you take your blood, you concentrate it. PRP. PRP, yeah. 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 PRP got popular because of cosmetics, right? PRP facial, PRP hair, but it's been used in sports medicine for over 20 years. And Dr. Gallia was actually the pioneer of that. He treated like Tiger Woods and like Mike Tyson, like a lot of A-list kind of athletes. Mm -hmm. And he was my main mentor. And so I learned a ton from him in sports medicine about PRP and its application for sports injuries. And it was because I wanted to make my patients better. And I found a lot of them weren't getting better with just cortisone and physio. And I was like, why do you have to send everyone for surgery? There has to be another way. And so I was very fortunate to have him as a mentor. And then that kind of led me into this whole world of regenerative medicine, right? It's like, we're taking your plasma, we're, we're concentrating it, we're processing it, and then we're injecting it into like a tear. And it's actually going to regenerate that tear and fix it. So I was like, oh, wow, this is so cool. And then once I got into that world, it kind of opened up this whole domain into stem cells and gene therapy and tissue engineering. And that's really what regenerative medicine is now. So it's cell therapy, gene therapy, or gene editing and tissue engineering. And then combining those three is kind of like what we call the next generation of medicine. Mm-hmm. So 
just so I know, the plasma is, is in your blood. And you have, you have to put your blood through a centrifuge in order to access it. Yes, or am I exactly. completely wrong? No, no, <laughs> no, you got it, you got it. It, it separates in, in layers, and basically, mm. if if you just take your if you just take your blood, you have to actually centrifuge it at a high speed for it to separate into the different layers, mm. and then the plasma will separate into the top layer, and then the, the red blood cells will kind of be at the bottom. And so you can take that plasma, and you can. Why, why is the plasma so good? Because it has growth factors and it has something called cytokines. Cytokines are proteins that basically send signals to reduce inflammation. Mm -hmm. But the plasma is only as good as the body that you're using, right? Because you're using your own Uh, blood. So if you have like a six-year-old guy who's like diabetic, high blood pressure, doesn't take care of his body, his PRP is not going to be the best. And Mm. I remember when I used to do a lot of PRP, I used to have like, I remember having this one patient and he he was was like, you know, I was like, oh, what'd you have for breakfast today? He's like, hot dog and like, bacon and i was like i'm like bro who is that for breakfast first of all and i know a few people do that <laughs> and then second of all like you do know you're going to be using your own plasma so we take his plasma we spin it and then it's like the white like most gross looking thing i've ever seen and i'm like i don't think i want to inject this into mm. your body so and obviously in that case i was just like i think you should come back and maybe we should do yeah. this again uh and, and funny enough once you get them to fast eat like low fat diet it, it actually does make the plasma a lot cleaner you, you can't use someone else's plasma Actually, that's being developed now. It's called allogeneic. So mm. autologous is when you use your own body. Allogeneic is when you're using somebody else's source of biologics. And now you can actually do, there are companies that have developed off-the-shelf allogeneic PRP. So we're actually in the process of just licensing that out because then it's off-the-shelf product that you can use for people who are older and want to have PRP done. Nice. So you can pretty much inject that anywhere in the body where there is inflammation and i guess if there's other issues as well it's it's really effective for sports injuries specifically like mm-hmm. if you have a muscle tear or a tendon tear mm-hmm. the perfect example is like athletes who are getting ready for like let's say like a olympic sport and they tear their hamstring a couple of weeks before and it's like man they gotta get this guy back as fast as possible so the prp can help accelerate the recovery process and then you can combine that with stuff like mm-hmm. hyperbaric oxygen and that's kind of like regenerative medicine right you're using your body's own natural healing abilities and you're supporting them to heal mm-hmm. faster so that's that's where prp shines but prp isn't great for like you know, chronic inflammatory conditions or something more complex like autoimmune conditions. That's where stem cells come in. I've got a friend of mine who he's got a fight coming up and he was sparring and I think he he, he punched incorrectly and he tore his bicep right. um, off his shoulder, but he still wants to fight. <laughs> and he was asking me, do you know anyone who could do anything that will allow me to basically have a chance of having this fight? I mean, he's probably not going to be able to punch with this arm, but... Is there any, would the PRP help in that situation? It, it would depend on how much it's retracted. Mm. So if the tendon is actually ripped off the bone and it's retracted, which it sounds like it is, then unfortunately surgery is the only option in, yeah. it, for now. But we are, we are working on tissue engineering. So tissue mm. engineering is really cool because you can use 3D bioprinters and you can actually print a scaffold. Like let's say this, is, this isn't available yet, but it will be available in the next few years and something we're doing some research with as well is where you take a 3D bioprinter and you print you actually print the tissue that you kind of want. Like, so it creates a scat, like let's say for that tendon, Mm -hmm. you want to reconstruct it. You can basically 
map out the size of the tendon and you can have the stem cells embedded in there and then you can use that to actually reconstruct the tendon mm -hmm. and uh and yeah i think that's that's kind of the future i see where you're going to be re reconstructing tendons using 3d bioprinters and stem cells instead of just going through the traditional like you know surgery sew it back together type of yeah. route so you you treat a lot of bodybuilders a lot of famous ones i know you, you one of your clients is chris bumstead um i was wondering what is what is the most common injuries that they tend to have that bodybuilders tend to have issues with? Yeah, they keep me really busy, which is nice. <laughs> <laughs> They're, uh, they beat their bodies up quite a bit, right? And so the most common by far is definitely osteoarthritis, unfortunately, which is a condition where cartilage gets eaten away at. So is that people, just repetitive? Exactly, yeah. Know? So like people know, like people, most people have probably heard of like, you know, people getting knee replacements and stuff like that. Mm. And so that's that's a condition called osteoarthritis where you get inflammation and you get, degradation of the cartilage. The cartilage is basically like this cushion-like substance that protects the bone. And what happens if you do too much wear and tear, especially like with heavy lifting, then that cartilage starts to wear out. And so like in Chris's state, for example, like he's, he's fairly young, but he does have some early signs of osteoarthritis. So we treated him, we put stem cells into his joint where the arthritis is, and then we treated all his tears around the area too. Mm -hmm. And that actually can regenerate it. And the cool thing about the, the regenerative medicine is that it can actually regenerate some of the damaged cartilage and reverse the disease process. So that's why bodybuilders, I mean, especially ones who are elite level, they're, they're pushing their bodies to the extreme, right? These are like the Olympia, like seriously big guys. Yeah, I which mean, of course, Rami, like known, look at Rami, right? Yeah. Like he was, he, I worked on him earlier this year when I was in, D in Dubai and he, he was an interesting case because he had tears like all over. And then he also was having some like atrophy of muscles, like his muscles. I don't know if you remember or if you keep track of like how during Olympia, like his, his like physique wasn't as good. And mm -hmm. it, it just seemed like he, a lot of it was neurological too. Like the muscles just weren't firing as much. And so bodybuilders just get like their bodies just get really beat up and they get neurological things too and they get uh, muscle tears and degeneration and and because of the anabolics they can also get damage to their organs and yeah. so that's that's another issue that happens too with bodybuilders do you think it's um down to form as well so imagine if somebody is lifting with like perfect form you know they're not jerking with the movements or locking out or doing anything like that does that help reduce the risk of those issues that you're seeing. Yeah, but I mean, if you're squatting 500 pounds on a Smith machine for 12 reps like Chris Bumstead, yeah. <laughs> you're probably... Yeah, I, see, he'll do that to hit his quads, which means his knees will have exactly, to point forward and they'll be under... Exactly, under so much load and tension, right? And that's why I was like, I was like, Chris, can't you just give up the Smith machine and just do freaking leg press? <laughs> He's like, no, man, I love, I love... I'm like, okay, for... He loves, you know, and people... And I get it, like bodybuilders love some certain exercises and they're not going to give it up. Mm. But for sure, if you optimize the mechanics, if you make sure that the joint is in a favorable position right. as much as possible, you're going to reduce the tension you're going to put on there, right? And that, that's why there's a lot more emphasis now, I would say, and awareness in the world about mobility, stability, biomechanics, corrective exercises, all that good stuff to make sure that if you are putting your body through these heavy loads and you want to keep lifting like your whole life, right? It's not just about in your 20s and 30s, but when you're older, then the way that you're going to do that is having good biomechanics. Yeah. Is, is this certain exercises you told him not to do anymore? Well, I asked him to give up the, the Smith machine. I mean, this, uh, the Smith squat, but he, he refuses. <laughs> I don't know if you know, do you know who Charles Poliquin is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he was like a kind of legendary, you know, coach. And he used to always say that, 
you know, Smith, Smith Machine. great, great arm program. Yeah, he did. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved his. He wrote a whole book on the arms race, which yeah, is yeah. a great book. And But he used to talk about why doing the Smith squat press uh, or squats wasn't a good idea because of, the, like you're saying, the position mm. of your knees, right? And yeah, so I, I'm just not, I, I mean, Chris is going to do what Chris is going to do, but ideally, eventually he'll transition. I think his once he retires from bodybuilding, obviously he'll probably switch over mm. to like leg press or free weight body squats or like safety bar squats, something that's not going to put that type of load on your knees. Well, I guess with what you're doing, you could almost increase the longevity. Well, exactly. With... It's kind of like cheating almost. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I go in the gym, damage my knees. I'll just go to Dr. Khan. He'll fix it up. <laughs> <laughs> and that, it, that's kind of what we do. It's, it's very interesting in a way because it allows us and, and and now with with the anti aging and stuff we're doing too, you can extend people's careers as bodybuilders or as lifters as well. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, what's the number one reason why people start stop? Like, why do they retire as an athlete? Injured, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. So, I think I, they can't lift the weight which they need to lift in order to maintain that size. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. Um, with the average person that's coming to you, what issues do they tend to have? I get the whole gamut because now that I have, I guess, a bit of online presence, like I get people from all over the world with, and I'm kind of seeing the cases now more so that other doctors can solve. So a lot of them are like chronic complex conditions where there's kind of like, we don't know what to do for this person. So here's a pill. Good luck. Mm. And basically patients are just like, like, I can't live like this. Like I'm, I'm in chronic pain or I'm in chronic fatigue or I can't, like or have weakness or have neurological conditions or autoimmune conditions, like a lot of chronic complex conditions. And a lot of them are looking for outside of the box thinking on how we can treat these complex conditions. Like as obviously as a sports doctor, the job's fairly easy. Like, you know, you're just dealing with sports injuries, like a shoulder tear, a knee, a back issue, whatever. Like those things aren't that hard to treat. Uh, but these things are a lot more complicated and involve I would, a lot more robust protocols, not just using something like PRP, but we have to often use stem cells, peptides, sometimes gene therapy as well. And we have to combine different kind of protocols and put them together to get these patients better. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's becoming, it's a pretty fun practice. Like I like, obviously I love what I do because I get to help people that are not helped by their traditional system. And a lot of them have lost hope and they're just kind of like depressed. They're, you know, obviously like how, think of, imagine you live in chronic pain every day. Like you will wake up, your, your back hurts and it's like seven, eight out of 10 pain. And you, you know, you're just, it, it affects your mental health, obviously. And you yeah. can't live life the way you want. A lot of them end up on disability or they end up, their relationships end up suffering and all these other consequences happen. And as someone who understands fitness, you obviously understand that when, when you have pain too, you, you stop moving, right? You can't work out. And then because you can't work out, then there goes your health. Like you just start deteriorating. Yeah. And that's why I think treating Personally, as as someone who's trained in chronic pain, I think treating that is so important. And that's still, I would say, like the majority of my practice, uh, chronic pain. But I still get a lot of other unique cases now, too. Have you ever experienced it yourself? I mean, one time I had a tear in my knee and I just injected it myself. So, <laughs> and, and I fixed it. It was, a, it was like a jumper's knee from basketball. Uh, okay. But I've never had chronic pain, thankfully. But because... I've seen so many people suffer through it. I think I just have a lot of compassion for them and I just want to try to help them. And, and that's, that's what kind of got me into this whole field, I would say. But then it, it evolved into a lot more because I realized that there are a lot more people, not just with chronic pain, but with so many other chronic diseases that are not getting the help that they should from the, our conventional medical system. Yeah. And you said before, the, the medical system in the United States is not the best. Yeah. And do you know why that is? <laughs> 
because of the pharmaceutical <laughs> companies. Yeah. And they almost they want people to stay sick so they can keep selling products to them. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are calling it sick care, and I think that is an accurate depiction of what's going on in America and probably most developed Western countries mm. like UK and Canada, Australia. They're all kind of biased towards this pharmaceutical model, and it's because. They've allowed it. They they created a system where the pharmaceutical companies help, you know, choose the specialists who collect, who make the guidelines, and then they also lobby the regulators. They lobby the politicians. So you get all this. You you, you kind of have this whole messy situation where you can't really figure out what's truth mm. and what's fiction, right? And that's that's the biggest problem. And even like there's been papers published recently showing something like one in four, so like 25% of published clinical trials are either made up results or were wrongly published type of thing. So there, so basically there's a lot of stuff out there that isn't actually true. And even like, at, let's take SSRIs, like antidepressants. Like that's one of the biggest, I would say, hoaxes in society that we've gone through. And we're finally going on the other, other uh, side of it with psychedelics now. But Basically, they convince everyone that depression is due to this trans neurotransmitter def- deficit in your body of serotonin. Mm-hmm. So you need more serotonin and you'll feel better. And it turns out, if you look at the actual data, that they didn't publish any of the negative trial results. So there was many trials that were negative, meaning they didn't actually have positive outcomes. And so if you actually take all the data together, it's no more effective than placebo. And you know what works better than anything for depression, exercise. Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, but but exercise. they'll never talk about that, right? Yeah. Because it doesn't. It's not good for obviously. Well, that was the craziest thing during COVID. Not once did they mention anything about sorting out your nutrition. Oh man, I was or like, exercise. I was baffled. Like, I didn't. I almost didn't like because because I'm a doctor who lifts. Obviously, I'm into working out. And I was just like, okay, fine. I get vaccination. I get masks. I get all this stuff. If you want to, you know, you want to protect vulnerable people. But why aren't we talking about the stuff that can prevent this from being worse in the first place and why aren't we talking and even like like let's talk about peptides or stem cells like there's so much data out there on how that can help covid but not a single media outlet ever covered that because they're not patented things that the pharmaceutical companies can push like vaccines and drugs so it it becomes so apparent right it's like it's almost like it's hard to it's hard to deny right like there's so much evidence against them now that it's just like you're, you're kind of caught with your hands in the cookie jar and they're but they don't care because they made 50 billion dollars from the vaccine right Pfizer yeah. like they don't it doesn't matter to them they, they make their money and even if now there's a class action lawsuit against them because they found DNA fragments in those vaccines that shouldn't have been there and those DNA fragments but so basically the purification process wasn't as good as it should have been for something you're giving to billions of people and those fragments can increase your risk of cancer and um, autoimmune diseases so it doesn't matter if they lose a one or few billion dollars because yeah, they're, they're up. They're, they're okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But how, how does how does how do we change any of this as long as they are still in existence? Yeah, I, I've wrestled with this a lot. I think I think the only way is anytime there's a disruptive technology, then it can create a new path forward. Mm. So we finally have a disruptive technology, and that's cell and gene therapy which is the umbrella of regenerative medicine. It's similar to how Tesla had to disrupt the whole oil industry. So do you, 
you, I don't, I mean, both of us were probably fairly young when in 2010, when Tesla first came out, but from 2015 to 2020, there was nothing but negative media out, outlets about Tesla. They were basically like, Tesla's going to go bankrupt. It's the worst company ever. There's, they're not going to succeed. And it was actually the most heavily shorted company in history as well. They had, at one point, they had more than 30% short interest. Short interest, for if people don't know, is basically when the, com- the big hedge funds, the big boys, are betting against the company. They want it to go under. Yeah. And why are they doing that? Because big oil. Yeah. It's not good for them, right? And they control the media too. So they have all these fund managers going on NBC, going on CNBC, whatever, CNN, and telling everyone, sell, sell, sell. Tesla's got worst investment ever. And what happens? <laughs> so <laughs> I was an early investor in Tesla. So I invested in 2016 to 2020. Uh, I'll, I'll, you know, a lot of my friends and family know my story. And that's kind of how I, be, I was, because I became financially independent at a young age, I could focus on things that were meaningful. And because I was a Tesla investor, it also gave me a different perspective on looking at the way what's ha- what happened with Tesla. It's so, it's, it feels eerily similar to what's happening with regenerative medicine and selling gene therapy and all this stuff, which is that they're going to try to suppress it as much as possible because they know this stuff is going to disrupt the traditional yeah. medical model. Have you experienced any of that so far? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's inevitable. And there's always going to be people who are going to say, you know, it's quackery or it's against, you know, it, or whatever. It doesn't work. Or that what we're doing is not approved. But at the end of the day, there's thousands of patients now who can test, like basically say they've, yeah. you know, <laughs> that we've treated successfully with it. And like you, like you said, like there's some very influential people I've treated. Why would these, influ- and why would these influential people who are some of the wealthiest and most powerful people in the world come to me if they believed in the traditional system? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, that's, that's something that I always think about too. I think one of the biggest issues people have is, is knowing who to trust and where to get the information from. Because in today's day and age, obviously, you've got the news. Usually the news has some sort of agenda, which is trying to push. Then the social media, and now social media is a good thing, but the problem with social media is anybody can pick up a camera and start talking. And a lot of these people who are giving advice, they don't necessarily have the correct qualifications. Or those people that are extremely qualified, they usually tend to be very closed-minded and they have like just their own rigid beliefs, which they are not willing to you know, listen to anybody else's if it goes against what they're saying. So how, how does the average person know where to look and who to, who to listen to? Real quick, guys, I just want to share with you something which I spent the end of 2023 putting together for you. You see, in life, if you are unhappy with something, you need to change it. That is one of the core philosophies that has driven me, my businesses, and my fitness over the past 10 years. In recent years, I've been asked frequently how I've managed to go from being an average personal trainer, working all day, every day in a gym in the north of England, to the position that I am in today. That is why I decided to create the Digital Playbook. This is a step-by-step blueprint for anybody who finds themselves in the same position that I did years ago, wondering to myself, how can I make money online? Can I really make a full-time income from creating content about the things that I actually like? How can I travel the world 
work from my laptop, and at the same time still afford to live a great lifestyle. It's essentially a playbook on how I built multi-million pound businesses off the back of creating content online. If you want to check it out, head over to the digitalplaybook.net and you can book in a call with my team to find out more. Let's get back to the episode. I mean, I think good information does eventually find its way through, but it does take a long time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping, obviously, doing these type of things slowly, eventually it will penetrate the, you know, eventually the mainstream kind of masses. But there isn't a great solution right now. It's, it's, there's so much noise. You're right. And like, I think of like this guy, I mean, I, I don't know. Anyway, he's, he's, I don't know if you know him, Gary. Brecca? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, he's not a medical doctor, doesn't really have any qualifications, but he's going around talking about health and he's all of a sudden he's becoming a health guru, right? And a lot of people are self-proclaimed health gurus and it's just not their place necessarily because they don't have the right background in education. And then, but you're right, that a lot of physicians and physician scientists especially are so myopic and they're very they're they're very like siloed in their field and anything outside of outside that doesn't fall into their box they're just like oh that can't work mm-hmm. like that's nonsense and that's that's the problem with a lot of doctors especially like i think canadian and medical doctors because we're we're trained pretty rigorously like we we're taught to think that what we learn is so amazing like we must be the best doctors in the world because we're learning from the best institutions right so if like let's say you go to harvard medical school and you go through this process and then you realize wait a minute, what I was taught was actually probably wrong or outdated very quickly, which is what happens, right? Medical knowledge now, if, if you can take a guess. So in 1950s, it used to take about 50 years for the medical knowledge literature to double. So meaning how much knowledge we have. Guess how fast it is now. What? The, it's, how, like yeah, how fast it every, takes to double the medical literature knowledge database. Probably less than a year. 73 days. <sighs> So yeah, how do you keep up with so that? So how do you school? possibly? How do you expect it? So and half of so and there's been de- there's studies on this. So physician, if you go to medical school, fifty percent of what you learn within a couple of years will be wrong or outdated. So you're actually factually incorrect if you're talking about which is what most doctors are. They're, mm-hmm. they're actually factually incorrect because they don't even know what they don't know. Yep. That's that's called the Dunning Kruger effect, and that's a problem. And that because they're very intelligent, but because they're so intelligent a lot of them succumb to a lot of the cognitive biases that most people do. Mm-hmm. And they can't step back and be like, okay, what if I'm wrong about this? And I think that's, that's kind of the, I think if you're looking for a good practitioner, they can admit when they're wrong and that they can also admit that they don't know everything mm-hmm. and that they're willing to learn. And I think that's, that's kind of what I've always done is just, and that comes with bodybuilding, funny enough, because bodybuilding, what is it all about? So it's, it's like the Japanese uh, Kaizen principle. Have you heard of that? No. The Kaizen principle, which is it's an iterative, iterative process of always trying to slowly improve yourself. Yeah. And so that Kaizen principle, they use it in bodybuilding because what's bodybuilding? Like it's progressive overload training, right? Over time. And so I just apply that same mindset to medicine. I'm just trying to read and learn and just keep improving yeah. and learning from other experts. I'm lucky because I have access to some of the top scientists around the world and I learned so much from them. So even though I don't have a PhD, I just have an MD, I feel like... I probably have multiple PhDs now because of how much I know about cell and gene therapy and so many other things and, and to like a fine detail. I think a lot of it is down to critical thinking. Like there needs to be, exactly. you just need to be better at critical thinking. Don't just listen to one person, Go, listen to a few and then come to your own conclusions based off all the different things that they've said. And usually if those experts are 
a lot of them are agreeing on a lot of different topics, then, you know, probably a good chance that that's going to be correct. Yeah, exactly. Reproducibility is the key to figure out if something or not is probably has some merit to it. Mm-hmm. And that's and if if you have some self-proclaimed health guru telling you they know all the answers, then yeah. they probably don't know all the answers. Yeah. Even when when I've uh, I've been making my videos and just trying to share some knowledge, I've never said this is the only way to do it. I've always said, well, this is my approach and this seems to have worked for me. But I'm always willing, like, I never have one specific way of training. I've, I've tried everybody else's training programs to see what they're like and what effects that it has. And because I've been training now for 15 years, I have all this experience behind me where I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I know what works best for me and what doesn't work as good for me. But then I have to also understand that genetically, I might not be the same compared to somebody else. So what works for me might not work for somebody else. Yeah, like just because I'm training with Big Ramy doesn't mean I'm going to train yeah, like him. Exactly. Because <laughs> that ain't going to work for me. It'll kill my body. <laughs> How did that go when you were training with him? It was fun. It was fun but because he really pushes himself and I like pushing myself too. But the amount of volume he does is just, it's incomprehensible for someone. With, yeah. with, like it's actually hard to comprehend how many sets this man is doing. Like he would do like eight sets of multiple leg exercises type of thing, you know? And yeah. like, the, how can you tolerate that much volume unless you're a genetic freak? Yeah, because even in Dubai, I've trained with some very big, very enhanced people. And I have I've have not been able to keep up. Like maybe I would, I would keep up with them for like 15 minutes, 60 minutes. And I'm like, I'm done. Exactly. And they're like, oh, we're only halfway through. <laughs> <It's> a- <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, I, I literally can't do this anymore. No, and if you keep going, your body will just not recover for like two weeks. Yeah. What, what do you think is uh, the limit in terms of how big people can get naturally? There's actually studies on this. It's called fat-free muscle mass. Mm. Uh, Eric Helms, do you know? Yeah, he, yeah. yeah, so he talks a lot about that stuff. He's kind of the natural bodybuilder guru, and he's been work, He's been. He's still natural, and he's been doing it for like 20 years. And instead of getting into the, like the science about the calculations and all that, I think what people want to know is how big can I get naturally? Yeah. And so if you're like, a, let's say a six foot male, realistically to be shredded on stage, like 5% body fat, the most is probably between 180 to 190 pounds shredded. But that's like walking around maybe at 210 or so. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest. So if you see someone who's bigger than that, they're probably enhanced. And there's a lot of people who, like the liver king. I don't know if you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that was hilarious. I'm yeah. like, people actually thought he was natural. <laughs> like, I was like, what, what planet are we living on? And that's where I think it just comes to education, right? People don't realize, they see online, they see all these fitness influencers and they see all these amazing physiques and they think everyone's natural. Mm-hmm. When I can tell you, because I'm most, I take care of a lot of them, I, almost no one's natural. Do you think I'm natural? <laughs> you can be 100% honest. I I'm, think you have genetically gifted arms, I can tell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think based off how long you've been training? 15 years. Okay. I'll show you a picture of when I was 10 years old and I was, I was like shredded and had a bit of muscle definition even at that point. Yeah, no, I think you're, and I can tell just based off your arms and your physique, you're probably a mesomorph. Mm. And so that means muscle comes relatively easier to you. Yeah. And how much do you weigh? I am hovering around 95 kilograms. Right. And you're... I'm above 10% body fat. Yeah, easily, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, to me... I think... Uh, you, of... you could definitely... You're definitely past for natural. And you don't have, like, that crazy balloon look either. A lot of, mm. you know, enhanced lifters do. Because I think a lot of people, when they see me, they they always assume that I'm a lot leaner than I actually am. Like, they, they seem to think that I'm sub-10% body fat all year round. Right. 
and that's definitely not the case. Like I'm probably somewhere between 12 and 14, but I'm quite lucky with where I store the body fat. Like it tends to be more like on my posterior, thighs, back, a little bit less on the abs. So it gives me that appearance where... We got to give you some of my Pakistani genetics. So <laughs> <laughs> <all> goes here. <laughs> we, we, unless you're from the right regions of our, you know, of the South Asian community, I think most people can relate. Our genetics really are <laughs> not the best for bodybuilding. Do, do, you, do you believe in those, uh, the DNA testing? Where you can find out your heritage and where you like originate from. I mean, I did that and it told me I'm from India, and I was like, thanks. Like I didn't. Like, yeah, thanks. Like I, yeah, because Pakistan and India were the one at some point. So I think there's better tests. I mean, there are some companies out there that do more advanced ones that can actually trace back your lineage a little bit more. Mm. But I think we're still like obviously we're we're kind of getting into that genomics revolution where we can say based off your genetics that this is probably the best exercise program for you. And this is probably the best nutrition program for you. But I think we're still not, like the reality is 99% of people do not need that. 99% of people just need to learn exactly like the basics. Like they need to eat less processed food. They need to learn how to do a periodized resistance training program, just the basics, which most people actually don't. Most people don't even know how to train, right? Well, they're way too quick to just want to go hop on some steroids. And I'm like, hang on, if you just optimize your nutrition a little bit, improve the quality, improve the macronutrient split. You train a little bit harder. You followed the proper program, which is actually like designed for somebody like you with your experience levels. And then outside of the gym, you're doing all the things that you were supposed to do as well, improve your sleep. Maybe you didn't go out and partying as much and drinking. And you were consistent with that for a long period of time. You would probably be really happy with the physique which you could achieve, but you're not doing those things. So like what... You, you just want to take a shortcut when there's a lot of things you can do naturally, which will allow you to have that physique. Yeah, but that takes a lot of work. Mm. <laughs> and people, behavior change is really the crux of the problem, is how do you get people to do behavior change in a sustain, sustainable way? Mm. And the problem with the fitness industry, the number one problem is they make it seem like this impossible task where it's like you have to go to the gym. The people feel like they have to go to the gym mm. f- like for hours a week. They have to deprive themselves. But like you said, actually, it's not that hard. You just have to start with small, simple steps and do what's called tiny habit change, like make small, tiny habit changes. And then that way you can do it in a a sustainable way. But I think that's always been one of the things that the fitness industry has bothered me is they make it very difficult for most people to want to actually stick to it. I've figured out now that I can, I've figured out the, the protocols to do almost the bare minimum in order for me to sort of maintain the shape, which I want to sort of maintain. Right. And I wouldn't really need to train more than four times a week. If I just went to the gym, I could go four times. And probably like tra- one hour sessions, yeah, right? One hour, no more than one hour. Train hard and then just eat the right things exactly. outside of the gym. And not. I've stopped drinking now pretty much. I rarely drink. Yeah, I, I'm literally the same. I do about four to five hours a week right now. And I'm yeah. traveling so much and I'm doing so many things that I, mean, I can still maintain. Yeah. And I can if I if I kind of cycle my calories, I can still gain a little bit of muscle or I can still lose a bit of fat if I need to type of thing. Yeah. And that's with such a, like as a minimalist approach, right? Then that's what I like is basically make it with the least amount of effort and get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas I find, especially with a lot of fitness influencers, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, well, and, and because I, that stuff sells, right? It's not, it's not hard. It's, it's hard to sell something that's just like what you're just saying, right? Yeah. That's hard to sell because <laughs> it's not sexy. I, I, I used to be that guy when I was in my 20s. I would train when I had my own gym because I was there every day. I used to train like six times a week, sometimes more. I remember there would be like 10 days in a row that I would train. 
and I would just wonder why I would feel absolutely terrible. But I was younger then, so I felt like I could I could tolerate it a little bit more. But one thing which I've noticed now, like I'm I'm in my thirties, just turned thirty three. The the rate of recovery has increased. I've noticed it takes me longer to recover from a big session. Well, we got to talk about our anti-aging stuff now, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> because I was in the same boat. I'm I'm 35 and I feel like I'm back into how I felt like when I was 25. And I've had patients who are in their 50s who said they feel like they're 15 years younger. We had one patient, he was a hyper responder, but he was, he said, so he's, I think he's 83 and his intrinsic biological age with our anti-aging therapy, which we'll talk about in a sec, went down by 63 years, which is insane, right? Does that mean he's going to live 60 years longer? I don't know. But his telomere length, which is like a marker of longevity, did increase proportionately. And he literally said he felt like he was 18 again. And he has so much more energy and strength and vitality. So that's what we're getting into. I like to call it medicine 4.0, which is we're using cell and gene therapy. So you can do all the foundational stuff that we're talking about longer because mm. I, I was yeah i was thinking about this and there's a few people i got friends who are on trt and they said obviously yeah trt allows you to build more muscle but they feel like they've got all this energy out of nowhere and that was one of the things where i was thinking i'm not interested in getting bigger i'm happy with my size but i want more energy exactly you know when you like you wake up and you've had a great sleep exactly and you feel amazing all day like i want those days every day Yep, we'll get that for you. <laughs> That's easy. That's literally what our treatments do. So so there's two anti-aging kind of treatments that we have and stems there's cell so we talked a little bit about it earlier but there's cell therapy and gene therapy. Mm-hmm. So stem cells a lot of people have heard about, right? Like stem cells people kind of have an idea that they come from like the baby after birth, right? The umbilical cord tissue, you can collect that. And then there's also stem cells from like your own body. But obviously your stem cells from your own body isn't necessarily going to be as effective from like a baby after birth. Mm -hmm. So, but what you can do is stem cells, essentially, like we talked about earlier about PRP, why is it beneficial? It was the cytokines, right? The proteins that reduce inflammation. So stem cells have a lot more of that. And in fact, they have 10 to 20 times more of those anti-inflammatory cytokines than PRP. So, and that's based off studies that have been done looking at cytokine analysis. So you get so many more of those proteins that are going to reduce systemic inflammation. And you can actually do what are called intravenous stem cells, where you put them IV and they go throughout your whole body and they reduce systemic inflammation. And that helps with recovery, it helps with sleep, it helps with HRV if you track that stuff. And it can obviously help with energy too. Mm. And then what we do, we combine it with our gene therapy. So we have, so gene therapy just so you give you a bit of a history lesson because you have to understand what gene therapy is. Because when people think gene therapy, they're like, is he going to modify my genes? Like, what's he, what's he talking about? So gene therapy has been around since like the 90s and it was originally used with viral vectors, like viruses. But the issue with viral vectors is that there's always a risk of translo- translocating, causing like, you know, theoretically it could cause infection, reaction to your body. Sometimes you need immunosuppressants so the virus doesn't attack your body. So there's a lot of risk with it and they're difficult to manufacture. Uh, but our company now, what we have is we have something called the plasmid gene therapy. So plasmid is basically just a circular strand of DNA. And so it's of bacterial origin, but there's no bacteria in there. 
So our company name is called Mini Circle, and that company, and so and so hence the name Mini Circle because it's just a mini circle. Mm. It's literally just a circular strand of DNA. And what we do is we can inject it intramuscularly, like into your arm or subcutaneous. And what it does, it sends a signal for whatever gene of interest we want to increase production of that gene of interest for up to one and a half to two years with one injection. And we can we can target any peptide or protein in the body with 100% accuracy. Unlike CRISPR, have you heard about CRISPR? Yeah. Yeah, so CRISPR is more powerful. It can do more, up to 10, more than 10,000 base pairs, so strong, but it has offsite targets. Whereas with MiniCircle, our vector, there's no offsite targets. And we can target any peptide or protein in the body with 100% accuracy. So the first one we did is something called follistatin. Follistatin has actually been around in bodybuilding for like 20 years because it's a myostatin inhibitor. I don't know if you remember when we were like, I'm sure you remember because we're like a similar age when we were younger, there always used to be like, oh man, I can't wait to get a myostatin inhibitor because yeah. those big, those big jacked ass cows, right? Those yeah, Belgian yeah, yeah. blues because they, they have myostatin deficiency. And I'm pretty sure Ronnie Coleman and Big Ramy and all these top guys have myostatin deficiency. And that's why they're so humongous, right? And so if you can inhibit myostatin, you can obviously increase your lean body mass. So follistatin in the bodybuilding world has actually been used for a long time. But the problem is follistatin, like most peptides, has a very short half-life. So you have to inject yourself like multiple times per day, like for months or years to have like a, some sort of benefit. And no one's really going to do that. No. It, that's not sustainable, right? So our injection circumvents that problem because basically our gene therapy carries that gene for follistatin and it increases production of follistatin for one and a half to two years with one injection. So basically you're circumventing the problem of having to inject yourself. And we can do any peptide in the body. So we have a whole pipeline of products, but this is the first one we did because it's kind of the holy grail, I would say, of anti-aging because I think you and I would both agree losing muscle and not having enough muscle is the main reason people age, yeah. right? It, it is, it's the dri biggest driver of aging because muscle is so protective for your body. And so that's why we chose Falstatin as our first product. And what it does is not only will it make it easier for you to put on muscle, it also increases energy. So you wake up in the morning and you feel refreshed and you don't want to go back to bed and you have increased strength in the gym and neurological drive. So it's, it's an amazing gene and it's, it literally takes two minutes to do it. Just put it and that lasts you for two years. Yeah. It's expensive. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, uh, how, like Tesla, when it first came out, like I always say analogy to electric vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. So when it first came out, he came out with the Roadster, mm -hmm. which was like this crazy $150,000 car, I think more maybe even, and it wasn't very good. It didn't go very long distances. It was hard to charge. But the technology improved and became more accessible, more affordable. So yes, it is quite expensive, but it is we've the price has actually come down by like, more than 30% just in the last like couple months. So it's going to continue to come down. And I think the vision for it is eventually to have it accessible to everyone and have it be a much more affordable. We're doing a phase two clinical trial soon for sarcopenia, mm -hmm. which is like loss of muscle mass as you get older. And then the goal would be eventually to have insurance companies even cover it. That'd be the long-term goal. For now, it's obviously still cash pay, but the point is, is it is something that exists out there. I'm surprised it's not more of a thing. Well... Like it sounds because like the I know, ideal. Because exactly. I, wouldn't it be amazing if you went to your family doctor and you got this done every two years, right? Mm -hmm. You got this anti-aging stuff done because then you could like you could really eradicate a lot of chronic disease because most chronic diseases are lifestyle related, right? Yeah. Because people don't exercise, don't move. And like we were talking about earlier, a lot of people aren't going to change their behavior and it's hard to get them to actually get them to do the right things. But this stuff allows them to make it easier. And even if you're lazy as shit, 
the false data is going to make it like it actually protects your body. We we did DEXA scans on everyone in the study, and there's people who didn't exercise and they still lost fat and gained some muscle, which is crazy. And unlike Ozempic or a lot of the other peptides out there, like for weight loss, you lose fat and muscle, whereas falostatin is super anti-catabolic. So oh, Ozempic, I want to talk about this because um, <laughs> my girl was trying it last year and obviously it, um, it just completely suppresses your appetite to the point where you almost feel sick at the thought of Well, that's literally how it works. It makes you nauseous but so you don't eat. <laughs> why? I, I think something like that is absolutely ridiculous and surely that is not good for you. Like there has to be. Some... You can. I mean, you can thank the Kardashians. Like this. <laughs> I, I don't understand how, you, especially here in Dubai, you can go over the counter and get it. Oh, it's not prescription here. I don't, I don't think so. Well, that's interesting. And so, unless she got it off a friend, but she had it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Either but way, I'd, it's accessible. It's yeah. accessible. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I I totally agree with you. I'm not a huge fan of it at all. Like, is, it, is, the, is it what other side? No, you're, you're you're exactly right. right. It's not improving your body's metabolic health in in the way that something like statin could because all it's doing is just suppressing your appetite, which just basically, yes, you lose some weight, but what's the weight you're losing? You're also losing muscle yeah. because you're not eating enough protein. And if you're not doing high, high intensity resistance training, there's no way you're going to retain your muscle. So I'm not a huge fan. I think the second generation of Zempic, uh, it's called trizepatide or Monjuro, is a little bit better because it's also, it is an appetite suppressant, but it also improves insulin sensitivity. So at least it makes your body process sugar a little bit better. So I think that's, that's a little bit better. But when it comes to like weight loss peptides, my favorite is probably like CJC and ipermorelin. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of that one? No. It's a growth hormone releasing hormone. I actually don't know a whole lot on peptides. In fact, one of my good friends, Luke Belmar, actually said I should get on them. And he, (laughs) he said, he mentioned NAD plus. Have you heard of that? NAD, well, NAD is more for it, yeah, energy. Like mental focus, maybe. Mm, I mean, it can help a little bit with that, but it's more for energy as well because NAD is like what's produced, it's an it's a intermediary for your mitochondria, so it helps with energy production. Okay. But there are like a million peptides out there. A what, peptide, what, what is a peptide? A, yeah, exactly. Like insulin was like the first peptide synthesized like in 1926. Uh, in Toronto, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so insulin, most people know, right? That sends a signal to your body to lower blood sugar. So it's just a chain of amino acids that sends a signal to your body to do something. What that something is now can be very customized because we're getting to the very specificity of how we can create peptides to do specific things. Mm-hmm. So insulin obviously was great because it could tell the body to lower blood sugar, which could help with diabetics. But now we have peptides that can do, they can help with energy, they can help with weight loss, they can help with brain health, they can help with nerve pain. There's so many different peptides that have so many specific actions now. And there's probably... They're healthy. Because they're naturally occurring in your body. Yeah. So they're just mimicking something that's in your body that maybe you don't have enough of or your body needs more of. And as you get older, certain peptides decrease. So like falostatin is a perfect example. As you get older, your falostatin levels decrease. Another one that's po- is popular is copper peptide because copper peptide is good for skin health and like a lot of cosmetics are using it now. And you can take copper peptide and it can help with skin rejuvenation as well. And so w- one of our products that we're working on is copper peptide gene therapy because the, you could just do one injection and it'll last for one and a half to two years and it'll keep your skin looking nice and young and you'll have that elasticity and that kind of more youthful look sustained as you get older. Mm-hmm. When, 
going back to stem cells, how, I mean, obviously they will vary in quality. How does somebody know if, if they're thinking about, okay, yeah, I want to get some stem cells. How do they know if the person they're getting it off is if it's going to be the best quality? That's, and that's the biggest issue. I think at first, I wouldn't go to a doctor unless they're doing active research. So if they're not actually doing research as well as, because it's still a relatively new field, and unless they're doing on the research side, and if they're just on the business side of just making money off stem cells, mm. then that's probably not someone you want to go to, which is like 99.9% of the yeah. clinics. Just right, and, that's the, and that's the problem. They ruin the reputation because it becomes medical tourism and it's just like gimmicky and it's just like, come on, get stem cells. You can do stem cells for everything. And it's, it's, it has to be a lot more nuanced. And that's what we're doing now. We're basically... Instead of just using umbilical cord stem cells for everything, we're, we're, we, have, we have technology where we have specific cell lines. So we have a process for umbilical, to answer your question about umbilical cord stem cells, we have a process of selecting the right, like the donor, how we grow the stem cells. There's all this science and details that go into it because if you don't grow them the right way, meaning you don't expand them right, the right way, the stem cells can actually cause more damage in your body and yeah. they, they may not actually do what they need to. But now instead of having to harvest them from umbilical cord, you can do something called genetically engineered stem cells. So this is, this is a, a Japanese professor, Professor Yamanaka. He won the Nobel Prize like almost a decade ago. It's called the Yamanaka factors. And basically, if you overexpress these transcription factors, you can turn any cell in your body back to a baby stem cell. So it's pretty crazy, right? So if you think about it, it's like I could take your muscle cell, I could take your skin cell, and I could turn it back into a baby stem cell using these Yamanaka factors. So it, it tells you that your body has this innate ability to heal and become like renewed again. And so, but the problem with the Yamanaka stem cells was that they're actually too strong. They're like embryonic stem cells. They can keep growing and cause tumors. But now there's a technology developed that prevents them from causing tumors. So they're called gene-edited Yamanaka stem cells, or the technical term is induced pluripotent stem cells, iPSCs. So, but those iPSCs can be used to make different type of cells. So for example, instead of just having umbilical cord stem cells, we can have what's called iPSC-derived beta islet cells and beta islet cells are that can be transplanted into the pancreas and they can create new insulin producing cells so you can actually cure diabetes and this has actually been done in clinical trials already and they're doing it and it's been done in parkinson's as well so parkinson's is a disease where you don't make enough dopamine you could lose the neurons that produce dopamine in your brain you get like tremors you start getting memory issues and so now there's actually a trial that was published this year where they use ipsc derived dopamine neurons and they injected them into the brain and it made new dopamine neurons that basically produce more dopamine and it actually put the patients into remission. Wow. So instead of them having to take drugs for these chronic diseases, you're using gene editing and cell therapy combined and you're actually curing or reversing disease. So that's, that's, and that's, that's what medicine's all about to me. And that's why I'm excited about this whole field. Well, I'm trying to think, like, what, what, where are we going to be in 100 years' time? Like, what? <laughs> we'll be regrowing. Whole, we'll be, like, we'll we'll be we... living probably... Like, I mean, for our generation, like if you do this stuff, I think you could easily lift to 150, but I think you could push that by like, if you're, if you have access to this stuff, which hopefully it'll be accessible to more people as time goes on. I mean, yeah, I mean, people could lift for a long time. But I mean, those the, from 100 to 150, like, would you still have a good quality of life? Yeah, because if you like, think, what will you look like? Well, that's the thing, right? It's going to be like just a walking wrinkle. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, if you think about it, why are you aging in the first place? It's because all these peptides 
as all this inflammation is happening in your body. And if you can genetically manipulate that so it's not happening anymore, then why would you age in the first place? Yeah. So we're, so that's why I'm treating all these high net worth people because they're all interested in living forever. Of course, yeah. Jeff Bezos is, he started a company called Altos Lab. And they're like the secret lab that are working on apparently curing aging, but they're using basically the same technology I'm talking about. The Yamanaka, they actually hired Professor Yamanaka, and they, they, but they're working on basically trying to cure aging. So for um, for those people who don't have the access or the funds, for for the average person who is probably listening to this, what can they do to try and slow down the aging process? Or even to yeah, reduce... I mean, outside of the fundamentals, yeah, yeah, yeah. which Just we like all very know, basic things. Yeah, that's that's like by far the most important stuff putting on learning how to do like a progressive well-designed periodized resistance training program like the stuff you talk about i think is the foundation but if you want to go outside of the lifestyle nutrition yeah nutrition sleep stress community meaning purpose like all the basics right like you need to have a good meaningful purposeful life because that's really what's going to make you live healthy and like a long life like just the basics like if you're if you're like a miserable person and no one likes you like you're probably not going to live very long because like <laughs> your body you're just like you don't have the you need we're humans we're we're social bonding like there's there's so much data on that too you know mm-hmm. there's the like the sense of community and and having healthy relationships so i think that stuff is overlooked often and it is important but then like the lowest hanging fruit for a lot of people, like you were saying before, is like hormone optimization, like just TRT or for women, like HRT. And then I think something like peptides, which are easily accessible or can be prescribed, which are not super expensive, can be used as well. And there's there's longevity peptides too, which like like BPC-157, TB4 or TB500 that can be cycled a few times a year or CJC, like these different healing regenerative peptides, peptides that help with the thymus gland. The thymus gland for people who don't know, is basically one of the things that drives aging because it, it kind of sits near your thyroid. And essentially what happens is your thymus gland, as you get older, it goes through this process of involution or atrophy. It shrinks. And and as it shrinks, it your ability for your body to deal with inflammation becomes more and more challenging. And so there are peptides, like one called thymogen, that can help with that. So there's there are peptide protocols out there. I've I think I made a post on my threads one time. I don't know if anyone uses threads, but <laughs> <laughs> about that. But but the point is there is stuff out there about how to do peptides and, uh, you know, just like basic stuff that's not super expensive if you are into longevity and anti-aging and all that. What about uh, very basic over-the-counter supplements? What's your view on them? The quality, because, uh, right? Well, it's a quality control. Is a big, I'm a huge fan of supplements, but it's just, it's hard to, you have to, it's quality, yeah. Yeah, because with myself, I mean, I was... In my 20s, it was a lot of guesswork. I would just buy random things off the shelf and just have them just hoping for the best. All that bit of zinc or a bit of magnesium, whatever it might be. Recently, I've become more aware of the importance of getting blood work done. So a company I work with called Bionic, I do a blood test with them every three months. I think they test for over 50 parameters. And based on the blood work, which is done, sent off to Switzerland, analyzed, they put together a custom supplement formula based off that blood test, which I think is, it's an improvement. At least I'm having the, you know, the proportions of each vitamin that I should be having. But then I think that was based off one blood test. What if, you know, surely your blood work can change by quite a lot in a matter of days. So how, how effective is something like that? 
I think it's I think it's useful, but I also think you know if like we don't want to overly complicate things either. Mm -hmm. So I'm always about simplicity. So you were asking how can someone do this, make it simple as possible. Mm -hmm. Crea Pure, five grams a day, HMB. Three grams a day and whey protein, I think, are by far the three easiest supplements to take for longevity and anti-aging because... You think whey protein's in there? Of course. Whey protein is so... Because most people don't actually get enough protein. Mm -hmm. And whey protein is the only processed food that is good for you. Because, I mean, technically it's highly processed, ultra-processed even, but it's actually very good for you. It has a lot of health benefits and obviously it's anti- it can be anti-catabolic because it can help with lean body mass preservation. Uh, and HMB which I'm sure, I'm sure you know what that is, like a leucine metabolite, it's super anti-catabolic, right? And so I think those are such easy things to access that people don't even do. They're like focusing on like all this weird shit from like this health guru <laughs> online. It's like, bro, just like take some creatine. Like you're not even doing the basics. Yeah. Like, but I mean, obviously assuming you want that whey protein to be the higher the quality, the better, not just the cheapest. Of course, exactly. Stuff. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's where it comes back to the biggest issue with supplements is quality. Yeah. And I think working with like reputable brands and people who do third-party testing and validate everything. I think that type of stuff you got to look for. I always try and follow for myself and for a lot of clients that I've worked with a protocol of 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. Yes. Would you say that's... That's exactly what I say. Yeah. One gram per pound of body weight, which is the same thing. Is there any negative side effects if you overdo that? Like if you have too much protein? I know some people come to me and they say, oh, I'm having 300 grams of protein today. And I'm like, what? <laughs> why? Exactly. The question is why? Yeah. Like... It's just unnecessary. And it's like, just have some carbs. Like, stop being yeah. weird. Yeah. So if, let's, because I try and do this now, meet that requirement, ideally without supplementation with powder, but sometimes it can be an issue, especially if I'm traveling. Do, would you say that it's not necessary to have the whey protein? Or would you suggest If you're having, hitting your macros yeah. of 2.2 per kilogram, then you don't need the whey protein. But for a lot of people, that's hard because they don't eat enough yeah. of those concentrated sources of lean protein, right? So I think it's a, it is still a supplement. You don't necessarily need it, but something like Creapure, I think, like creatine, I think that's something everyone should take. Like every adult on the planet should be taking creatine. Really? Even for people who don't go to the gym? <laughs> yes. There's over 500 studies now on creatine and the effects on cellular levels, if you look at how it affects the mitochondria, cellular function, like there's 10 hallmarks of aging. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to bore you with all them, but basically it's if there's, you know, stem cell exhaustion, telomere attrition, mitochondria dysfunction, nutrient, dysregulated nutrient uh, sensing, like all this stuff that happens at a cellular level. So your cells become dysfunctional as you age. So the question is, how can we prevent your cells from becoming dysfunctional? And there's obviously we talked about the cell and gene therapy and how it can do that. But creatine is a very easy one to help with cell, maintaining cell function uh, from a variety for a variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. And what uh, recommendation would you go for in terms of dosage? Five grams a day? Yeah, I think that's the easy one to follow. Like, just do it every day. I think back in the day, well, there's like no when, need to take a break from. No, it. exactly. Back in back in our day, <laughs> when we were younger and getting into bodybuilding, it was like you got to cycle, you got to carb, you got to load it, and all this stuff. But it turns out you don't need to do that. Well, I remember that. <laughs> there was a study where it linked creatine consumption with hair loss, and I was like, right, I'm, <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. I'm not taking yeah, any yeah, creatine. Yeah. I'm already fighting a losing battle. Like yeah. I don't want to take anything that's going to make it worse. But I think that study's not. It's being disproved. 
Exactly. And if it's one study, reproducibility and then magnitude of effect and all these other things, like, and plus you can take, if you're wor- really worried about hair loss, just take something that's going to block well, the 5-alpha reductase inhibitor. I've, uh, I've been taking Propecia for the, the finasteride. Yeah, that's a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor. For the past, yeah. I think I got, I got the hair transplant in early 2019. And obviously my uh, the surgeon had talked about it. I did some research into it. Ended up being more scared of it than anything. So obviously if you look online and you just hear all these horror stories from people who've taken Propecia, I was like, oh my God, I don't want to do that. But because I'd done the procedure... I wanted the procedure to be as successful yeah. as it could possibly be and like long into the future. So I, I tried it and I've been taking it consistently. I've reduced the dosage now to, it's like half a pill. So it's one, the one milligram. So I'm taking like 0.5 a day. And it's, it's, it's I mean, I, I don't know for sure how effective it's been. I assume it's been pretty effective. Yeah, I, it keeps your... The reason, so people understand, is because you're basically trying to prevent the conversion of testosterone to DHT. Mm-hmm. And DHT is this hormone that basically causes miniaturization of the hair follicles. And once they miniaturize, that's how you go bald. So yeah. that's what you're doing effectively. And so I think it is recommended and it, it probably does something. But a safer alternative for people, who, if you're scared of taking it, is something called pumpkin seed oil. You can actually take an oral dose between 500 to milligrams to 1,000 milligrams. And there's a, but I actually had to have trials comparing pumpkin seed oil to finasteride and has similar efficacy. Really? And there's no that's side very, effects. That's yeah. very interesting. Because um, yeah, <laughs> as soon as I, I, I made a few videos about it and everybody was asking me like, oh, you're still taking Propecia? Are you still taking it? Are you still taking it? Because they're obviously on the edge. Yeah. But I don't want to be the person who tells them like, well, I'm fine. Yeah, but, like, exactly. I'm, yeah. Obviously, I live a healthy lifestyle. I go to the gym. So even if there is any negative side effect, it's like it's probably minimal and it's not going to worry me. I think a lot of people, you know, especially with the the uh, issue of the, the performance in the bedroom, they, if they start overthinking that, then you're going to have problems. Exactly. And I think the big thing too is you always have to look at the risk versus benefit, mm-hmm. right? That's that. Anytime you're looking at an intervention and everyone's situation is going to be different. So is the risk of you potentially getting maybe increased risk of depression or libido issues worth the benefit of you keeping your hair? Yeah. And that's going to be different for everyone. So it's, and that's why it's, it's good the way you're doing it as opposed to just being like, yeah, guys, it worked for me. Everyone should take it. Here's my, <laughs> here's my discount code. <laughs> I mean, the thing is like a lot of the surgeons, they're probably going to say, yes, take it because they want the... The, the effects to be as good as possible from the whole procedure. Exactly. And they're going to do whatever they can to maximize that. And it's, it's like, and that's the, always the medical thing, right? It's always being very conservative and covering your base, bases that way. Yeah. Very quickly, guys, I just want to ask you a quick question. Are you taking supplements? And if you are, do you have any idea if you're taking the right supplements in the right amounts? You see... The more that I discovered about the importance of micronutrient supplementation and the adverse health effects of micronutrient deficiencies, I would constantly ask myself the same thing. I would go into supplement stores, load up on bottles of micronutrients and pop pills daily without really knowing if they were doing me any good or not. That's when I decided to try out Bionic. Since 2021, I've been getting my blood work done with them every three to four months. Once the blood test has been analyzed, they would put together a customized micronutrient formula tailored specifically for me. And this would last me for three to four months until I got my blood work done again. And since then, I've honestly never looked back. 
If you are also serious about performing at your best, preventing development of diseases and maximizing your overall health and well-being, I highly recommend you give it a try. And they've recently introduced Bionic Go, which is a fraction of the price where all you need to do is just fill in a questionnaire online without the need of a blood test. If you want to find out more or give them a try, head over to bionic.com, but you can use my exclusive referral code BQ Mike Thurston for a discount on your first order. Let's get back to the episode. Um, I wanted to ask you a few questions about uh, these these new devices and machines because uh, there's a longevity place which is open nearby and I tried out a few of them and I don't know like how legit they are. Obviously, when I was getting the tour, they were saying how amazing it was, but I wanted to know your thoughts. So what's your thoughts on red light therapy? Yeah, in, infrared light therapy. Now that we talked a little bit about the hallmarks of aging, mm-hmm. infrared light therapy has cellular effects on almost all of those. So it helps with mitochondrial health. It helps with chronic inflammation. So it has all these impacts at a cellular level that are good for your cellular health. So I think I think infrared's great. And it's also harmless. And it can be, we often use it in conjunction with stem cells to, because there's been studies showing that it can help with the survivability of the stem cells and efficacy. So I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. And I, I think it's also good for a lot of people use it for skin health and anti if you keep your skin health good too because they do like the just for the face or you can do the full body a few times a week i think i don't know which company they use but the one i know that's good is novathor okay. because it has like a special diode laser so it has to be a, there's like there are some nuanced details to it too it has to have the right strength and intensity and all that stuff how often would you do that you can do it like for anti aging you would usually do like a full body type of thing like 2 to 3 times a week oh, that's quite a lot yeah. So that's why like like Tony like I treated Tony Robbins and like he's he's one of my patients. Like he has it at his house and he just, you know, he goes into his chamber a couple times a week. <laughs> what about ice baths and cryo? Uh. <laughs> the, the ice bath trend is uh I hate it. You hate it. <laughs> well, for many reasons, but number one I hate the cold. Okay. <laughs> this is a personal thing. But it's also because it's gimmicky and I think the I think people are trying to say there's all these health benefits for it, but it's more than anything, I think it's psychological benefit, which is fair. Like if you want the yeah, psych- yeah, psychological yeah. benefit of just being like doing something when you don't feel like doing it and just like manning up and, or, you know, just getting, mustering up the energy to do it and just putting yourself in that ice bath. I think that's, I think that's good for psychological kind of discipline and doing that. But that's, that's also what you develop from like lifting. Yeah. And so go do a horrible leg day. Exactly. And so, and like, if you're tired and you want to really squat like 400 pounds under when you're tired, like that will show you whether or not you got something in you. Right. So I think you can get that from the gym and the health benefits are very like, there's no data to suggest like there's actually meaningful, tangible, like health benefits. Like there may be some cellular benefits for reducing inflammation acutely. So it may help with recovery just to help with joint pain or something after, but it's not like doing an ice bath every day is going to help you live longer or something like that. I think that's what some people think. I think infer like sauna is way more beneficial and has way more data on it for helping with like longevity and health. What, like three sessions of 20 minutes a week, something like that? Sauna? Yeah. Yeah, that, that the Finnish there's there's a lot of studies in uh, Finnish like uh, Finland studies that that's I, the frequency was something like that, but some people do it like every day too. What about PEMF treatment? That's when they I think they the, the pulses yeah through the body. So that's we use that sometimes in sports medicine to help with healing of like non-healing 
bones or mm. to help facilitate healing and regeneration. I don't know if you'd necessarily do it for like anti-aging or longevity. Yeah. I think in conjunction, if you have an injury or you're having pain and you need something to help get you along faster and move you along, then I think the PEMF can be helpful. What about hyperbaric oxygen therapy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely use like we write again hyperbaric oxygen. Basically, it has it has it does have multiple cellular effects mm-hmm. of again reducing inflammation and something called oxidative stress, which is like free radicals and production, and that can affect the mitochondria and contribute to chronic inflammation as well. And it can help with it can basically help with that process. So. There are definitely benefits of hyperbaric oxygen for healing, regeneration, because we use it. Some we recommend. So the two things we usually recommend if you're going to have stem cell treatments, like afterwards, is infrared therapy and hyperbaric oxygen. One or the other, if you if you have access to them. Usually, infrared is easier to find access to, but, but hyperbaric oxygen, even for just anti aging and longevity, can be useful. There's also something called like ozone dialysis, which is like a similar concept of putting that ozone through your body, uh, which has effects of like the hyperbaric oxygen too in terms of reducing inflammation and helping with oxidative stress i noticed you um you don't have any like devices to track your I don't know, sleep you don't have an apple watch you don't have, <laughs> are you a believer in them or not i because like i guess maybe it's a jimbro in me i'm just so i feel like i'm pretty in tune with my body mm-hmm. there's something called like regulating auto regulation mm-hmm. like auto regulation basically meaning you can regulate your own training based off how you feel yeah so there's something called rpe rate rating of perceived exertion so if you can auto regulate how you how to train based off how you feel you become really in tune with your body and i've been kind of doing that for several years so i'm pretty in tune with like I think the problem is a lot of people are not very in tune no, or self aware. There's zero in t- <laughs> and if you tell them to auto regulate, they'll be like, what, "What is that? Like, what, what, like they want they want to be told exactly what to do, and they want their devices to tell them what to do." Yeah. And I think that's you're overcomplicating a lot of things. And I think it's a lot of that stuff is. I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it's useless. I'm just saying a lot of it's gimmicky, in my opinion, and you don't necessarily need it. But if you if 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 it makes you stick to your behavior change, and it, it makes you feel good looking at your HRV or yeah. whatever, and you feel better about it, then go for it. I've I've had a few people who message me. I mean, obviously they see me wearing Whoop, and they try it, and then you know maybe they're they're not getting the green recovery that they want. They're getting the yellow recovery or red recovery, which basically means their HRV's lower than it has been on average. And then they get like they mind fuck themselves, and they're like, "Well, today's going to be a terrible day. Like, probably shouldn't exercise. Probably shouldn't do anything." And that's probably not the best way to go about it. Like, it should be used as a tool to assist you or give you some guidance, but don't let it dictate your entire life. Exactly. And I think, I'm sure you would agree that you're able to kind of figure out, because based off how you do it, like you've been training a long time, you've probably had good workouts when you felt really tired. Yeah. Like that happens to people who've trained a long time all the time. You're like, oh man, today's going to be a crappy workout. I know it's like, I don't feel great. And, no. and then you like feel, and then you end up having a great workout like it's that. Weird, like, uh, there's been a time, I remember a time I had like two hours sleep and then I had like a really good workout and it just didn't make <laughs> exactly. any sense. Exactly. So I don't think, I, that's why. So it's so funny. I think a lot of it, I think for people who are like, like bodybuilders at heart, like people who've been doing bodybuilding, like we have for a long time like we just have a different perspective on things because we we know there's there's real world evidence that 
thousands of people can corroborate and say that, no, that's not necessarily true. Just because I had you had two hours of sleep and the HRV is telling you it's low and you should be resting, there you go. It contradicts it, right? So you can't, so it, it can't, it's not that black or white. Mm. What's your, your training protocol like then? Well, because I'm traveling so much and, you know, I kind of no, work I mean, yeah, <laughs> Traveling is, it completely ruins my oh, training. Man, yeah, because you don't have a consistent gym schedule, right? And because I'm all over the place, I would, I would love to go back to like powerlifting again, but it's just, it's been so hard. So right now I'm just doing a basic like four to five day a week bodybuilding routine because that's like full body split or no, I still do specialization because I've been training for like 12 years now. Yeah. And so it's, it's still like, you know, whatever back, chest, yeah. arms, legs, um, shoulders type of thing. But it's, but it, but it does also, but I also do like the auto regulation and, uh, I still try to do some periodization, meaning like sometimes, I'll try to have blocks where I'm doing more intensity and then other blocks where I'm doing more volume-based trading. Hmm. And have you heard of DUP, daily undulating periodization? Yeah. 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 Like I was a big fan of that, but I, but again, that was, I went, if I was in one location and I could do more like high intensity strength training, then I would be doing that. Ideally, once I, once my life becomes less of a dumpster fire (laughs) and I'm settled somewhere, then I want to be able to just do, uh, I want to go back to powerlifting and I'm going to get, do you know Stan Efferding? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's going to be, so I'm going to get him to give me my coach and I'm going to get, uh, I've already talked to Chris uh, Kabuki Strength, you know, Chris Duffin. He's going to be my movement coach and I'm going to, yeah, hopefully. Why why powerlifting? You just like... Uh, I'm a bro. <laughs> I want to deadlift 700 pounds. Yeah. What can I say? I, I just <laughs> it's just something I've always wanted to do. So I want to squat 500, deadlift 700, and hopefully bench 350. What's 500 in kilograms. So you gotta, I, to, oh right, yes, I know Canadians. We should be doing kilograms too, but it's the American influence on me. Uh, but it's it's, uh, it's no, it's about yeah, it's about two two forty. I don't know. Well, no, two. 230 kilograms or so. 226. Two, yeah. 226.7. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> ridiculous, to be honest. The most I ever did was 180. But I think the problem with me when it comes to squat, squatting is my um, the mobility and flexibility was an issue. And then I don't know if my proportions are ideal for squatting. So when I squat, yeah. I lean forward quite a bit. I'm the same, yeah. There's a lot of low bar, pressure I, That's on the why low I did low bar squat. Yeah. But it does look badass, though, when you're squatting that amount of weight. Yeah, same with deadlift. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it makes for a cool, cool picture. But, but when I started, I mean, and same with you. When we started training, it's not like social media was a thing until yeah, you yeah. know back then. It's not like I started. But I feel like a lot of the new generation are getting into training just because they see other people doing it online. So yeah. it, I think your your motives and your intentions have to be like pure in a sense. Like you have to do it because you love it, yeah. not because you're chasing whatever likes or pictures or whatever. Well, that's when when people are always asking me questions about like how. How do you get the physique? How do you stay consistent? I just, I just say, like, I just love going to the gym. Like, when I'm at the gym, that is probably the highlight of my day. Yeah, I'm the same. It brings me peace. Yeah. And I think we know there's so much evidence out there about the benefits of meditation and mindfulness. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't have to be you going to some yoga retreat and like, not, like you know, just chanting something for hours or whatever. <laughs> it can, if, if that works for you, you do you, right? Yeah. But I think for both of us working out is like a form of meditation because you're present in the moment and you're only, you're not focusing on anything else. Yeah. And it actually helps your body to come back to like a inner state of like a, like a peaceful state. Right. And I think it, it, like, yeah. And that's the thing. I always feel better, way better after I work out. Yeah. And I think especially cause we're the busier we get, 
the harder it is to have those moments of, even though it sounds weird saying peace, but I feel like it's peace. Exactly. No, it, I, I 100% do. And if I don't work out for a few days, I feel irritable and I, I don't, and I feel pretty crappy. So yeah. I, that's why I, I'm not surprised most people don't feel great. Like, and why chronic disease is an epidemic mm-hmm. because most people just don't exercise enough. Yeah. What do you do with your nutrition when you travel then? Are you a believer of intermittent fasting? Yeah. I mean, intermittent fasting was started by like, in the fitness industry again, Martin Burkhan, who never gets credit for it, but he was actually the guy who coined that term in like 2010 or 2011. And that's when I found out about it. And I started incorporating because I always hated breakfast, but then I, I always thought I had to eat breakfast just because like, I don't know, people told me it was good yeah. for me. <laughs> and then I realized after that, I was like, wait a minute, I don't need to eat breakfast. So, and then I, and I, I loved it. It was life changing for me because I just, I actually felt better. I felt more energetic during the day. And then I would just have a meal and then I would go work out a couple of hours after type of thing. So I don't work out fasted though, because I'm sure you would agree that if you're working out fasted, it's really hard to train heavy. Yeah. After uh, 20 minutes in, 30 minutes in, like you just feel like you're running on fumes, like there's nothing really there. Yeah. I mean, I, I could do it if it was earlier on in the day and the meal prior, the previous evening was pretty substantial. Yeah, exactly. Then you have I to can, front load the carbs. Yeah. That way you can sustain the workout the next day if you know. And I do that sometimes if I'm traveling or whatever and I kind of know I'm not going to be able to eat or something. Or sometimes I just have like crazy days with meetings and procedures, whatever, mm-hmm. then I'll try to plan ahead. So I, it, it does take a little bit of planning and foresight, which is why I, I need, I have like multiple assistants, but I feel like I need an assistant just to manage that now, <laughs> which, which we're going to work on hopefully. <laughs> do you, what do you do for food? When you... I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I do the mac, like I always try to hit my macros. Yeah. Like I'm very, because I weighed, I weighed my food for a couple of years yeah. and I, and now I can eyeball it. So you know, I, I always say, that should be a recommendation for everybody to do. I don't say you have to do it for ev- but most people, when they look at food, they have no idea no. what the macro split is. And they have no idea what they're consuming. Exactly. That's always the first exercise. I, whenever, when I used to work with people, I used to say to them, right, okay, you just track for at least five days or something Yeah. the calories you're consuming, the proteins, the carbs, and the fats. And they would learn so much in the process. And obviously the information they give me from that tells me a lot about what the issue is or what they're either they're just not eating enough or they're eating not enough protein a couple quick fixes and that can easily you know solve the issues yeah people like we were saying earlier people are not in tune with their bodies and they're equally as not in tune with what they're putting into their mouth Mm -hmm. not only from like a perspective of like what does this look like from a macronutrient profile but also they're unconscious eaters. Mm. They're not like they're not conscious of what they're even like. You, it's it's like it's 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 hard to explain. But once you develop that consciousness of being like, okay, why am I eating this, and is this actually good for me? Then you develop a healthy relationship with food. But most people have a poor relationship with food, meaning they eat it for emotions or they eat it because they want to feel good or whatever it is. But at the end of the day, food is information for your body. And that information has all these effects at a cellular level. And so you want to have a healthy relationship with food for nourishment, not because you want to eat it because you, you know, because it brings you joy or, or to cope with something. And that's what most a lot of yeah. people do. Well, the, the two of the times I had the worst relationship with food was one time when I was in London. And that was when I look back, I was just unhappy with my life in general. Right. So the only high which I could get was exactly. from food. Like that was the thing I looked forward to and it made me happy. But Ultimately, it was like it was making me less lean and more fat. So it was and probably more depressed. Me, yeah. <laughs> so it was like a deadly cycle. And then um, 
when I competed twice, they were the two times as well where I had developed this really weird, it didn't last very long, maybe a couple of weeks, but obviously you go through the phase of just such severe restriction where afterwards, once you've, you've done the show, there's no goal after that. There's no reason why you can't, you know, or why you shouldn't not eat the food which you've been looking forward to eating for weeks. Exactly. But then you can't stop. And it, it, I've never heard that before where I've just had this uncontrollable... Uh, you can't get full. Yeah. <laughs> it's because your leptin sensitivity gets all messed up. And yeah. so it's it's like you can just keep eating. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's... That almost made me not want to compete again. Yeah, especially if you competed, you compete naturally. Yeah, yeah. Like it's so different, right? People don't realize how extreme natural bodybuilding is because you're taking your body to this extreme level where you're screwing up your hormone. If you were to do a blood test when you're depleted like you were, mm -hmm. your hormones would be all messed up. Yeah. The doctors well, I would had, say, I literally had no sex drive. Exactly. And if we did a blood test and any doctor saw it, they'd be like, oh my God, you need to go into testosterone. You need to do this. You need to do that. But yeah. it's just because you're taking your body to such an extreme state. Mm -hmm. And when you come back from that, you have to do it in a smart way. And that's where I think reverse dieting and that type of stuff can be very important. I know a lot of people, um, they're like doing, especially these women, they're doing these bikini co competitions like every year. Yeah. Or they're doing two a year. Yeah. Like that's surely not good. Yeah. And and, and I'm, I've had many fitness models who had metabolic damage. Uh, like I was always skeptical if it existed or not. But then when I saw it where these girls were literally eating 800 calories a day and doing like Stairmaster twice a day and they were having a hard time losing weight. Mm -hmm. and it's like, so obviously it's not just calories in, calories out. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot more to it. And that's where it becomes complicated with hormonal dysregulation and cortisol and all these other things. What did you do in those scenarios with those people? So generally speaking, you have to do some, I usually did something called a Dutch test, yeah. which is looking at like, the, you know what that is? No. It's like a hormone uh, breakdown of, uh, it's a breakdown of all the different hormones in your body. So not just like the different sex hormones, but also like cortisol throughout the day. And then it gives you a profile of like adrenal dysregulation, I would say is the most common theme I would see. So the adrenals are kind of, they, they, there's it's this little gland or uh, organ that kind of sits on top of your kidneys uh, and it basically helps with uh, cortisol regulation. And cortisol, most people probably know, is the stress hormone. And if it becomes dysregulated, meaning when it's high, it's low, when it's low, it's high, then your body holds on to not only water, but weight in general a lot easier. And, and that Adrenal dysregulation is something we had to work on and fix through like a process of supplements. Sometimes they had to just be like, you can't, you can't do this competition. Sorry. Like yeah. we have to get you off. We have to fix your body first and then you can go back. And sometimes it would actually take a year or two before they could go back to competing. Yeah. Um, um, what's your, what's your next moves in the next couple of months? <laughs> so we're doing multiple clinical trials. Mm -hmm. So our phase two trial for falstatin gene therapy will start in Canada in the next few months for sarcopenia, and then we're going to start a we're going to start a phase one trial using the beta islet cells derived from iPSCs for type one diabetes, and then so and then we're also going to do a cancer trial where we're creating gene edited cells to target cancer. So hopefully cure cancer and diabetes and <laughs> cure sarcopenia. <laughs> That's what, <laughs> for the for the. Uh, the the, the services which you currently offer, because I'm very interested in them, like, can where can you get that done? Yeah, did, we can did, do it in Dubai. We, I mean, we to... should definitely. I mean, we, I mean, we're up here for a few weeks, so we should definitely we'll make some content together and do that. Yeah. Do, do, but the people have to see you. Right now, I think the only way to get, uh, we, I have other doctors working on. Under, I have a team now. Yeah. Um, I think my wait list is just like 
preposterously long. So it just doesn't make sense for most people to wait for me. Is that um, why you travel so much? Because you're seeing these people. Yeah. And a lot of them are VIP or people who kind of want to see me for specific things. And obviously there are certain things like, and that's why we're trying to train more physicians and trying to make this more accessible uh, because there is a big need for it. But if you want, like, yeah, I see people all over the world. Like I would say the most common place I spend a lot of my time is Mexico now, uh, Los Cabos, which is actually a really nice area. It's just underneath California. And it's, it's super touristy and safe and all that stuff. And that's where we have our own kind of cell and gene therapy clinic. Uh, and then obviously in Dubai as well. Uh, so we're doing it where it's permitted because it's not permitted in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, oh. And it's not permitted even in uh, a lot of European countries, but some European countries it is. Interesting. So we work in like, like for example, we worked in uh, Switzerland in Lugano. It's legal there and we can do everything there. And Japan. So I also have a partner clinic in Japan. Uh, I work in Japan in the summers. Okay. So still a lot of traveling. <laughs> yeah, for now. And that client waiting list is only going to get bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I have some very ambitious goals and I think it's, it's as Chris Duffin coined the term grand goals. So I have some, I had all my goals that I wanted to do in my life that I never thought I would I achieve them all. And so now it's about grand goals, which mm-hmm. are things that I think are probably not possible, but I might as well just try. And that's what I'm Why doing. Not? Yeah. Awesome, man. So where, where can people find you? Definitely the easiest is Instagram at dr.acon, K-H-A-N, K-H-A-N. And then uh, we have our website, eterna.health. We are hosting a huge longevity event in Austin, Texas in February, February 24th. I'd love for you to come if you're free then, but also anyone who's interested in the space, we have Dave Asprey, Ben Greenfield, Tom Bilyeu. Uh, they're coming to speak, some big influencers. And obviously we have a lot of good scientists too, just to educate people who are interested in this space and just wanting to learn like, and separating, like we said, the fact from fiction about all this stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm long overdue a trip to the state, so I, I need to go. Perfect. So I'll try and make it in February. <laughs> awesome. Awesome, man. All Thank right. you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me.